Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the word giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Good deal. Good deal. Um, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in here. Um, even the dog moms. If you're a dog mom, you're also, my wife's a dog mom right now. So, um, you know, happy Mother's Day to her. She takes care of those two little mongrels. It's great to have you guys today. Thank you so much for being here. If you're a first-time guest with us, um, make sure you turn in your connection card to the blue basket over there uh, beside the TV. And we'll send you $1,000 if you do that. No, I got your attention. Some of y'all like just not, you like, think about lunch. I just got your attention there. But seriously, turn that in over there so we can stay in touch with you. Um, also, too, if you're a first-time guest with us, you may not know that we're doing free pictures today, free Mother's Day portraits today over in our multi-purpose kids area. And so we'd love for you and your family or you and your wife, you and your kids, whoever, to get your free portraits. And so they have that set up after this worship experience. If you sneak out during it and try to get pictures, we're going to take your picture, they're going to send it to me, and they're going to tell me that you tried to sneak out during the sermon to get a picture. Totally kidding. Not really. It may happen. Be, be careful. At the end of the message today, we'll also be doing our baby dedications and are excited about that. Um, Mother's Day um, is also important for this church for uh, a big reason. Uh, one of the greatest ways that you can impact the world and community is by a church mothering another church. That means birthing one, having one. And so what we're going to be doing this fall, and I met with our partners last week, is we're going to be actually kicking off um, and, and launching a new campus in Richmond City across the river uh, right near the stadium. So if you know where the Squirrel Stadium's at, um, you could literally probably throw a rock if you have a strong enough arm and hit the stadium. And so this fall, we're going to be launching that um, there and we're actually sending a team in there. I'll be preaching live there. Yep, here, live and there, live. I, I'm a little crazy. Um, I think the Apostle Paul would have done it, so I thought, well, I'll take a shot at it. So if you live across the river, uh, the James River, the, uh, you know, cross over the James River, we now have a spot for you. Um, over there, we're excited because the fastest and the best way to reach people far from God is a brand new campus. It's not Billy Graham. And so we're excited that this new campus is going to reach people in that area. I actually live two minutes from that campus. And so I eat there, I do business there, and I see the great need in that area. And it's amazing God has opened that door. The next several weeks, you're going to see um, and hear more about this. I'll be introducing our campus pastor, Mark uh, Thomas, and his wife Tiffany to you uh, next week. Um, doing that, we're just pumped that we're going to mother a church on Mother's Day. Isn't that cool? Okay, I like it. Okay, you guys may not... I know me and Pastor Mark are going to, you know, do this thing. Not sure about the rest of y'all, but we're going to have fun. Go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew 5, verse 6. Matthew 5, verse 6. We're going to kick off a series, a three-week series. I want to challenge you that maybe you come on Mother's Day because you're doing somebody a favor. But I want to challenge you and your family to come the next several weeks to be a part of this series called Bless This Home. I will be speaking from the Beatitudes uh, that Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount about how we can have blessed homes. Our homes doesn't have to be filled with uh, turmoil or, or, or um, depression, but our homes can be filled with God's peace and God's love. And I want to talk to you about that for the next several weeks. How many of you would actually say in here, I'd like to have a blessed home? Okay, everybody with their hand down, what's the alternative? Do you want a cursed home? I can't help you with that, but I'll help you with having a blessed home. Have you ever been to that point in your life where you're like super hungry and don't care what you eat? 
You're so hungry, you will eat anything, including that little corn dog stand on the corner. Um, my dad was in, in hospital last week, and I thank you for prayers for him. And my, um, my brother and I were in that pre-op room for six hours with no food. I was starving. He's like, hey, man, it's time for lunch. What do you want to eat? I was like, dude, I don't care. The first restaurant that we get to, we're eating at. Um, luckily, it was good. But the same way, Jesus addressed this issue of hunger in the Beatitudes and what we hunger for. And he said this in Matthew 5, 6. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. One more time. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. God, this morning we just welcome you into this worship experience. I pray that you would guide the words of my mouth and the Holy Spirit, you would speak through me today. I pray, God, that over the next several weeks, this wouldn't just be a big Mother's Day blast, but God, I pray for families that they would listen and learn and their homes would be filled with your peace, their homes would be filled with your presence, and we would see your glory invade all of our homes in here, God. Whether we're single, whether we're married, uh, whether we're children in here, God, that we would all drink from the goodness of your word today. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why aren't our homes filled with husbands and wives and children that exemplify righteousness? Now, I think the answer would be because we're not really hungry. But what are we really hungering for in our homes? You see, Jesus addressed this issue to a group on the Sermon on the Mount. He was, this is his inaugural sermon, his first sermon ever. It's really good. I mean, if you haven't read Matthew 5, uh, 5 through 8, it's really good. My first sermon was, was terrible. Um, it was about three hours long. And I taught everything that I knew since childhood. But Jesus unloads on people in that culture who had really just lost a hunger for God. They were going through the motions. They were, um, you know, Jews who were going to the temple, sacrificing, um, listening to messages, and going home. But there was no change. There was no real deep hunger for God. And I believe if we were honest today and we looked at our homes and our lives, I think that what many of us, including myself, I was challenged like is a true hunger for God in our homes. If I asked you the question, what do you hunger for in your home? Some of you would be like, well, you know, we're really pursuing to please God and that's what we want to do. And that sounds really, that's a good Sunday school answer. I will put a pin on your chest before you leave here. Because that's the good Sunday school answer. But if I asked your family or looked in the last seven days some statements you've made, you may say this, I know hungering and pursuing God's good, but I just want to relax and take it easy. I want it easy. If I asked you, what are you hungering for? You may say, we want our family to look good, man. It's about the image. You know, the Jones dropped their kids off at soccer practice and they got that really hyped up minivan. So I went and got a hyped up minivan too. Except mine has like guns on tops. It's better. I want my yard to look good, which I love my yard, but I can never outdo my neighbors. There's, they have a super yard. Uh, mine's the baby. For some of you, it's the win in life. You want to have the win. That means you want the promotion. You want more money. You want the better job, and it's the win. Some of you want your kids to be the best athlete they can be, and they don't really care. You're like, you know what, little Billy? You're going to be the best underwater basket weaver in the history of mankind. 
And there's some parents that put their kids on a travel team knowing they stink at underwater basket weaving. But they're going to do that. It's what are you hungering for as a family? And if we were all honest, we're probably pursuing a lot of things that aren't really God. That's probably where we're all at in here today. See, the funny thing about your hunger and appetite is, is that your appetite will follow habits. When I first met my wife, I, I probably would not have lived um, to be 35 years old, which I am. I know I look young for my age. Thank you. But my wife really saved me because I never drank water. I didn't like water at all. One of the reasons is my parents would tell me that when you go to jail, if you do bad things, they feed you bread and water is all you get. So I was like, bread's all right, but I'm not going to drink water. I just felt like I was in jail when that was happening. But when I met Deanna, she challenged me to stop drinking sodas all day because it's bad for you. I know this isn't a health sermon, but sodas will kill you, right? Sodas are really bad for you. Let me just let you know. You could, you could save a lot of heartache. And I didn't know that. I was drinking like seven Mountain Dews a day. And, and, and she challenged me on a spiritual level. She said, honor God with your body, bro. I said, you got a good point. Then she said, you know what? She said, it's, just, it's, it's not good for you. Why don't you try drinking water? So here's what I did. I made a compromise where when, when I drink a meal, give me something with taste so I don't feel like I'm in jail, right? I don't care what type, type of taste it has. Just give me taste. You can pour those things in there. But I'll drink water all day. I mean, you ask Pastor Keith, I may drink 40 to 50 ounces of water a day now. But see, that didn't happen normally. I hungered and thirsted for things that weren't good for me. And I had to change habits. And when I changed my habits, my appetite followed. And it's the same way with the Lord. If you're looking at your home or your personal life, you're like, I just have no hunger for God. I'm like sitting here wanting this guy to shut up, get pictures, and go eat with Mama, do her a favor, and go home. I have no hunger. You create hunger. By putting those habits in your life, by starting to read the words. I'm telling you, when you drink and taste of the goodness of the Lord, it's like this water. You'll be wanting 40 and 50 ounces a day of them. You can't get enough of Jesus when you hunger for him and you really want him in your life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be what? Filled. If you feel empty today, that's a promise that Jesus has given you. If you're truly hungry for his righteousness and you're truly hungry for his grace, he will fill your life. So why doesn't this happen more in our homes? Well, one reason is this, or actually two reasons I'm going to share with you, is legalistic Christianity is one. Legalistic Christianity. That, that word legalistic means legal, law. It means law, you know, Christianity, where in your family, Jesus is relegated to a bunch of do's and don'ts. Now, you can raise your hand like this if mama's with you, but did anybody grow up in a home like that where you thought Jesus in church is what you did and didn't do? Just do this number here, and she's not looking. Mama, look at the ceiling. Did anybody? I did. I grew up. I love my grandparents, but man, I thought Jesus was mean. I thought he was the little lady with the perm who's always mean and had that mean face and telling you not to do stuff at church, the bun. And I hated church. I hated Jesus. I didn't want anything to do with him. And what you've got to realize with legalistic Christianity is Jesus is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. He's real. He's a person. He lives by the way of the Holy Spirit. And he wants a relationship with you. And if you're raising your kids just on, the Bible says don't, the Bible says do, the Bible says don't, they're going to hate God. They're going to rebel against Jesus. And some of you couldn't get your kids here today if you paid them $3,000 a piece because they've been driven that church's do's and don'ts. It's legalistic Christianity. See, rules without relationship will always lead to rebellion. 
If you try to teach people rules about God without them having a relationship with God, they will always rebel. So where do you start in your home? You teach them how to have a relationship with Jesus. And it's beautiful because Jesus will navigate them in the do's and don'ts. When they read the Bible, he will speak to them. But so many times, legalistic Christianity runs our homes and that does not work. And I got people in here who have told me, man, I ran off people from the church. I ran off my family. And my God, I'd do anything to have them back today to love Jesus. The second way is lukewarm Christianity. It's when we believe in God to act like he doesn't exist in our homes. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian and we show up for church, but then we, we curse at our kids, we throw things, we're cursing at each other, it's, it's, uh, you know, our spouse, and we act like God doesn't exist and that's lukewarm Christianity. How do you know if you're lukewarm? Let me ask you this, when's the last time that you and your spouse or you and your children had a meaningful conversation about God? Not when you were trying to teach them and, and run the show. But you just talked about God, how good he is and what he's doing in a loving way over the dinner table. When's the last time you and your spouse engaged and prayed about something really major and believed God to do it? See, it's not hard. We make it seem so complicated, but it's the easy things. And if you're not doing that, if you never talk to your, your wife, your husband about God at all and what he's doing, if you're never talking to your children in a natural conversation about how good God is and what he's doing, then you may be lukewarm in your home. He should be part of your daily conversation. And when you look at the Hebrews, when you look at the Old Testament, I love this. When you look at the Old Testament, they talk about God all the time at home. That's actually how they learned about God was in the home first. The synagogue was second. Now, we want Bonnie to teach our kids, and we don't have to do anything with them um, with that. Lukewarm Christianity. I'm going to tell you what does work. And here's the big idea for the whole series. And no, you cannot take the rest of this series off. We're not just a Christian family. Write in your notes, Christian. We're not just a Christian family. But rather, we're a Christ-centered home. See, 80% of Americans say they're Christian. Quote, unquote. But let me tell you something, honey. You can stand in the garage and it does not make you a Cadillac. <laughs> you can come to church and say, I'm a Christian. But it, that's not what matters. And, and many people are Christian families, but they're not a Christ-centered home. And what that is is that Jesus is at the center of everything you do. When you're gardening, he's in the center. When you're putting your children to bed at night, he's in the center. At your dinner table, he's at the center. Everything you do, he's at the center of everything. And that's a Christ-centered home. And you don't have to be super spiritual and weird and all out there. All you have to do is say, we're going to invite Jesus into everything. Invite Jesus. Check this. Pay attention. Invite him into your arguments. Say that again. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? When you're mad and you're cursing at your spouse or your children and you're going back and forth, why not pause and say, Jesus, is my attitude what you would want it to be toward my wife? Or That helps me out a lot because I'm like, rawr, rawr. I'm not saying cuss words. Sometimes I may have thought some but never said it, right? I'm joking. But when I invite Jesus even into that as being a Christ-centered home, it helps. And so everything you do, Christ-centered. See, the writer of Psalms said this. He said, you, God, this is Psalms 63.1. Psalms 63.1. The writer of Psalms says that you, God, are my God. That's, that's personal, right? Relationship. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. That's a, that's, 
That's powerful language, isn't it? That's not like I like to go to church. I mean, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. See, that's the God-centered life. I hunger for you. I need you. I want you. I could not imagine my life without Jesus. I think back to my days prior and, and I could not imagine walking one day without walking with God and hungering for Him. Now, let me edit this toward your family, alright? Psalm 63.1 As a family, you can say this for a Christ-centered home. You, God, are our God. Earnestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole family longs for you. Some of you are like, that sounds weird. You know what sounds worse is this. Popularity, I long for you. I want to be popular. Oh, my whole being longs to be popular. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But many of us are pursuing popularity more than we are pursuing God. Championship of the underwater basket weaving for nine-year-olds. We long for you. We practice hours under the water weaving baskets so they can win the championship. We long for you. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Just insert softball in there, baseball or whatever you want to do. I long for you. We got to have it. Think about this. New car with leather seats. The backup camera. I long for you. I want you so bad. How bad? That sounds weird, doesn't it? So instead of that, put in there, God, you are our God. We seek you and we long for you. Now, let me help you out how you can help your family uh, become a Christ-centered home is this. You need to help them see God as a loving, approachable, and involved. As loving, approachable, and involved. You got that? Help your family see God as loving, not do's and don'ts. And God's going to leave you if you do that. Let me tell you something, son. You're getting ready to reprobate. And then you're mad because they don't, they don't, they don't want to be a part of the, the body of Christ anymore. They're scared to death. They feel like they've gone too far, right? Uh, that's how I felt. Let them see God as loving, that he loves them and cares them. Help them see that God's approachable. You may have had a bad week. You may have screwed up, but God is waiting for you. He, he wants to know you. Help them see as approachable. And then help them see God as involved. That's one of my favorite words you'll hear here, is that God's involved in your daily life. Help them see that. When your teenage daughter is broken down, she's like, I can't believe it. Little Billy broke up with me. I'm never going to get married. My life is ruined. Say, sweetheart, God's involved. Because little Billy could have destroyed you. And it's God's work that you, little Billy broke up with you. That's where you see the providence and sovereignty of God when they're all broken down from that. Craig Rochelle and their church, LifeChurch.tv, gave the inspiration for this series. And when Craig was, was sharing this, here's what he said about his daughter. She's 17. And Mandy said this. Um, here, she said, you should create an environment where your kids want to have discussions about God. So it's not something they feel they have to do, but something that they want to do. And that's when our homes have a blessed home. It's inviting God in to hunger and thirst for Him, to see Him involved in all of our daily decisions. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That word blessed is a word makarios, not makarena. Some of y'all like getting ready to, as far as I'm going to go with that. Now you'll never forget that Greek word. I did that on purpose. But makarios literally means when God extends his great benefits and blessings. 
Not just happy. You know, some verses say happier those. Happy can go, go and come, right? But when God extends grace and benefits to our families, and I'm not sure about you, but I want to see God's grace and benefits in my home. I want to be a Christ-centered home. So how do we do that? And I'm going to give you three quick applications. I promise not to go very long today. I know mamas, some of y'all are making your mamas cook on Mother's Day. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is not happy. Y'all need to cook for mama on Mother's Day. Or go out somewhere. Make sure that whoever's cooking is not a mama. Whoever's serving you is not a mama, right? So how do we... Hey, all the moms said amen. You liked that, didn't you? Yeah, I tailored this for you. Um, and you got to realize one of the things we're doing today, moms, is we're not just preaching to you. We're trying to help your family. Because you... I'm going to tell you something. Some of y'all came today. You never come to church with your wife, your mom, or your family. Let me just say this, man. You gave them the greatest gift. They pray for this. This is better than a card. It's better than a rose. If you came with your mom today, it is a blessing to them. They are happy that you're here. They're excited that you're here. And my, my goal was to not get in here and just preach to mamas because mamas keep the families afloat spiritually usually. So um, I want to help the family. So what I want to do today is how do we create hunger in our lives? Three simple, very simple applications. Number one is this. In your homes, involve God in your daily conversations. Involve God in your daily conversations. Just have natural conversations about God. And... I, and let me say this, not the really crazy stuff, the weird stuff. Now, God does do some really cool, weird, crazy stuff. But just talk about how God was with you at work today and you got mad at your coworker and wanted to, to hit them in the head with your fist and you didn't because you felt the Holy Spirit say, don't do it. That's something to talk about, right? Involve God in that. Um, one thing I do see is that, and I think to be natural with this and involving God in your daily conversations, be very natural with it. Not like, you know, last night I was carried to the third heaven and there was angels spitting gold dust out of little bubbles and it landed on me and then I spun around and I flew in the rainbows and unicorns come out and God showed me the earth and he showed me that thousands will listen to me. And you're like, you're sitting there like, sure, I, yeah, yeah, we'll get coffee again. We sure will. Yeah. But when that happens in a couple and you got one couple who's like the guru, they're like hungry, they're and then the other one's like, I love God and I don't have any real experiences and I'm just, I don't know. You know what happens? And I've seen this and I've had to counsel couples out of this. And usually it's the guy, usually. The woman's like, oh, you know, just all fired up. And the guy's like, I don't know, man. I love God, but I'm not like you. I can't pray. I can't really understand the word very well. And they're going on and on. You know what happens? The spouse begins to separate and not want to talk about God. Because they feel like you're varsity and they're junior varsity. And they haven't been taken into the third heaven. They haven't seen angels spit dust out of their mouths with bubbles. And they haven't seen rainbows you know, come out of the ears of unicorns. They've had none of that happen. And you're like, and you're sitting there like, well, my spouse never wants to talk about God. Because you try to one-up them. Or you're the teacher. And you're like, you know what, today I just feel like I, like, like I really wanted to love this person at work. And, or, you know, that they're really annoying. Because you realize we all go through that, right? And they're like, yes, because God is love. And the Bible says that, that God so, so, you know, gave his son because he loved the world. And you're going to show something about love. In 1 Corinthians 13, and you're teaching them, they're like, I just, just wanted to share about how I wanted to love somebody today. I, I've seen that. And it creates a wedge in your relationship. Learn to have natural conversations about God. My wife and I. I mean, I have a doctorate in, in, in theology. She has a master's of science as a physician assistant. We are in two different worlds, right? 
I mean, she knows things about the anatomy and the body I will never know and I don't understand. She has to explain to me what's happened with my dad. I text her, what does this mean? I don't know. Uh, I know Greek. She doesn't know that. So how dumb would it be to sit there over dinner and try to explain to her all the Greek and stuff and, and what she's really... You know, we just have natural conversations. We, we sit on our couch. We're like, man, God opened this door for this house for us. We bought this house. There's no way we could have had it. And look how God has blessed us. Isn't he awesome? That's a natural way. We look at the church that we have and we're so blessed to be here. We're like, man, it is awesome how God orchestrated this and brought us to Richmond. And we just, we just have natural conversations on how God is working. She has co-workers that are non-believers and she hangs out with them and the conversations they have and we talk about those things. That's natural conversations that grow you and your spouse closer to God. So involve God in your daily conversations. Here's the next thing to do. Make church non-negotiable. And all the mama said, mamas, come on. You know that's, you want your family in church. Make church non-negotiable. And all the mamas help me by saying, all right. Listen, lead the way to the house of God. And men, come on men, step up. You don't have to be the guru. Just say, look, I don't understand all the Bible. I don't really pray well. I mess up a lot, but we're going to church. And, let the, and lead the way by getting your family in the house of God. I'm going to tell you something. You have to work really hard to miss church at Thrive. We have small groups every day of the week. We have a Wednesday night gathering. We have two Sunday morning gatherings. We make it really hard for you to, to miss it so you can be at the house of God. Make it a non-negotiable. Um, you know, recently I was super blessed by a family here. Um, they, they, they came to the, and asked about, you know, do you have child care, the early service? I'm like, yeah, we sure do. Come on. And they come up and they're like, you know, we're going on vacation and we're going to leave this morning, but we wanted to bring our family to church before we left, so we postponed leaving for vacation just to get our family to the house of God together. Isn't that awesome? That, that, that's, that's the stuff that um, when you're trying to have a blessed home that you do. Let me say this, singles. Let me say this. Listen to me. Listen to me once and hear me twice. Did you get that? If they attend the church of the Holy Comforter and they listen to Pastor Pillow when you're dating, do not trust them to lead you to the house of God. Singles, if God is not a priority and church is not a priority and giving and serving is not a priority, do not trust that your marriage is going to get them to start doing that. It's about five years into it, your prayer request card will say, I want my spouse in church. Like, well, they weren't in them. We got together. If they're attending the Church of the Holy Comforter and Pastor Pillow is their favorite one and they have every excuse not to be involved, then you may want to be careful because they may not lead your family to the house of God or even be a part of that when you get married. I'll move on to the last point this morning. Pat, if you'll come, here's my final point. Not only do you involve God in your daily conversations and make church a non-negotiable man, the third is this. Show how seeking and serving God is fun. Show how seeking and serving God is fun. Um, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is that you, as a family, should be at a place where you have fun at church. That's why we laugh a lot. And I, mean, I say jokes. And we, man, we, we had so much fun yesterday, like tearing stuff up and building stuff, joking and throwing stuff at each other. Um, not electric saws. But we have fun serving God here at Thrive. I want to have fun serving God. If you're at a church, and maybe it's this church, and you leave every Sunday and your conversation over the dinner table is how you don't like the bald-headed man, he's not preaching what you want, and, you, and worship's not this, and this is not this, then find somewhere you can have fun at because your kids are feeding on that poison. 
And they're going to start, stop, start hating church. And you're wondering why you can't get them in church because you had so many dinner conversations about how you hated church. They're not coming. That's good. You better get in your room with your spouse by yourself and talk about it. And then find somewhere you have fun at and you enjoy to serve and you enjoy seeking God. See, uh, my wife and I, one of the creative ways that we seek God is this way. We go to the mountains and hike. Because the Bible says that creation reveals God's glory, right? He created it. And we love going to the top of humpback rocks in Shenandoah. And we sit there and we just marvel at the majesty of God. We look at the beautiful mountains and God breathed into existence. And we don't have a guitar. We don't have a preacher. Well, we had a preacher, but I'm, I'm off duty at that point. And we just say, man, it is awesome. See, that's worshiping God together. When you're sitting in creation and adoring his beauty together as a couple. Uh, serving God's fun to us. Uh, what I do here, is it hard? Yes. But I love it. And we talk about it. She'll share stories from kids' church. And it's the funniest stories ever. Um, one time, you know, we're talking and we laugh so much about that. Because my wife, when she's here once or twice a month, she does kids' ministry. And she says, man, you know what? You know what? One time... I was sitting there, and I asked uh, the kids, I said, do you know what it means when God, when, when God rested? And one little boy's eyes got big and said, you mean God got arrested? <laughs> we love that, man. I mean, and you would, we wouldn't have the opportunity if we didn't serve God. We talk about funny things that happen, and usually I'm the, the butt of all the jokes. But it's making seeking God and serving God fun as a family. You know what? Um, there, there are about 80% or even higher of pastors' wives that wish their husbands were not in ministry. They wish they had another profession. That's sad. That's not the case with my wife. Because I asked her that. If I could be doing something else, would you want me to be doing something else? She's like, well, today, no. No, but I... But, you know, we enjoy serving God. And we got ready to talk about this other multi-site campus and how much it was going to take to do that. And, and man, we're going to launch... You know what my wife said? Let's do it. Why else are we here on earth? Let's just throw ourselves at the will of God, man, and go for it. Because see, seeking God and serving God is fun to us. And we have kids one day, we're going to raise them up, man. Seeking and serving God is fun. And I'm going to tell you something. The kids that you see that are sometimes um, the ones that have the best hearts are those that have served God. And it was a requirement for their early, earliest of ages. One of the best young people we have at this church is Victor Conyus. He's back there doing media right now. He plays drums and piano. He's uh, just turned 18. And Victor's a salutatorian, if I'm not mistaken, there at Huguenot High School. Isn't that amazing? But not only that, Victor served at his parents' church Sunday nights. He'll do whatever they need. He's taught. He's done kids. He's done kids here. He's played drums here. He does all the media that you see. And he's 18. He does more than most adults do. Because you know why? His family... His family made it a non-negotiable. We're going to seek God and serve God together. Daisy, his sister, who led worship for us, and she's uh, in Columbia right now. Same thing. When you grow your kids up seeking and serving God together, we're going to serve God. We're going to, we're going to feed the homeless together, man. We're going, to, we're going to do fun stuff. That's what makes the difference. So is your family, are you hungering and thirsting after God? There's a story that exemplifies this. In the Antarctic summer of 1908-1909, Sir Ernest Shackleton and three companions attempted to travel from his winter quarters to the South Pole. They set off with four ponies on this trek to the South Pole. 
Within a matter of weeks, the ponies had all died. And their food rations had went down to nothing. And so when it did, they turned around to come back to their quarters and forego seeing the South Pole. On their return journey, Shackleton records that in the heart of the Antarctic, the time was spent talking about food. They sat there as they were hungering and some of them were suffering from dysentery and, and they, were, they were talking about elaborate feasts and great food that they would have, not knowing whether they would survive. He said every waking hour was talked about eating. They were so hungry. See, Jesus knew about food deprivation. He went 40 days with no water and no food when he fasted. You read that in Matthew 2 and 3. He knew about that. He wrote, or he said, excuse me, Matthew wrote, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Let me close with this scripture. It says in Psalms 42.1, the writer of Psalms says this. He says, it was David, said, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Friends, let's make the commitment today on Mother's Day that we're going to hunger and thirst in our homes for righteousness. That we are going to involve God in our families so we can see God's grace and benefits extended to our families. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for a beautiful day for Mother's Day. God, we thank you for the gift of moms. And Lord, for those who may not have the title of mom in our life, but they've been a mother. They've corrected, they've instructed, they've cared. And Father, we pray today that you would instill in us a hunger for you, Lord. That you would instill in our families a true thirsting and hungering for you, God. That we wouldn't just go through the motions and go to church and just go and do stuff. But we would truly want to know you, Jesus, personally. Father, I pray that for every person in here. And I ask, Lord, that today families would be impacted by this message, God. That Holy Spirit, you'd make it real. That as they leave here, they would all talk about, Lord seeking and serving you, what you're doing in their life, Lord. And Lord, I pray that they would begin to step up and say, family, we're going no matter what. I'm going to lead the way. And God, we believe today that hearts and lives have been transformed. And it's in the great name of Jesus that we pray. Everyone said, amen.